lecture six part three of the groundwork of the christian virtues by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture six on humility towards our neighbour part three there is no humility so full of instruction as that which is perfected in authority how rare yet how exquisite is that perfection how abundant the resources that god puts in the way of christian superiors for perfecting humility i speak of superiors in every order of superiority whether domestic secular ecclesiastical or religious the sacred scriptures everywhere exhibit authority in man as derived from god as dependent on god as responsible to god and as only rightly exercised according to the law and will of god the subject has but a single dependence the superior is in a state of twofold dependence on the law of his position and on the exigencies of his subjects and must prudently conciliate the two this he must do not by his own sole light but by the light of god and by the counsel of the wise and experienced hence to govern according to god is the most dependent of positions well and wisely says the proverb that he who has never learnt to obey is never fit to govern for superiority cannot be better expressed in a few words than as a humble but magnanimous obedience to the best lights of what is best to do and to direct under each circumstance as it arises but this implies a thorough renunciation of one's own spirit to the spirit of duty and that spirit is imbibed from the whole objective character of the law work and commonwealth over which the superior presides the substance of christian superiority is service service to those who are subject service to higher superiors and service to god the honour of superiority is the commendation and protection of authority it is rendered to the superior because of the office as all authority comes originally from god the chief honour is referable to him then the superior represents the dignity of the body as gathered in the head again the old proverb is honor propter onus the honour is because of the burden and selden in his learned book on the subject shows that all titles of honour originally expressed the onerous responsibility of some office or service honour is a grace added to authority that gives it strength and reverence but the true christian superior will refer that honour to god besides the usual honour paid to superiors which in christian souls is proportioned to their humility there is a superabounding honour that is willingly given to those superiors who minister well and do great or extraordinary services to their subjects this singular honour is given to the special gift of the spirit of god who chooses that superior to be the instrument of special graces and favours 
so that what is chiefly honoured is the singular communication of the spirit of god for it should always be remembered by superiors and especially by those who are the instruments of god's goodness to souls that the graces of which they are the channels are not the graces given for their personal sanctification not the gratiae gratum facientes but the graces given them for others the gratiae gratis date this distinction pervades the sacred scriptures is strongly marked in the teaching of the church and is habitually felt by those who are humble in authority yet god chooses truly humble souls to be the channels of his greatest favours to men and from their own light and sanctity great blessings are derived in addition to those greater things for which god makes them his instruments then the humble are wise and clear-sighted and are not inclined to mix the interests of self-love with their authority to one who is well founded in humility nothing can be more humbling than the exercise of authority it discovers to him his weaknesses and limitations and reveals to him his defects and shortcomings this is especially the case where spiritual authority is concerned because he has to deal with eternal interests and the responsibility is tremendous the light he seeks for others may turn to his own rebuke and the simple and perfect who are under his care teach him many a silent lesson whilst his froward and difficult subjects give him many a humiliation the burden of responsibility makes him sensible of infirmity and his failures reveal to him his deficiencies and the great need he has of help from god undeserved praise strikes his soul with reproach he will feel the need of humbling exercises but these must be in secret because he ought not so to lower himself externally as to injure his authority with the proud the dull-hearted or the weak but whilst loved feared and reverenced as the superior and servant of all in his silent spirit as saint augustine says he must be the feet of all no office demands greater humility to god and to men than the office of the preacher for the preacher is the intermediator of truth between christ and the souls he has redeemed like the prophets he has to put forth christ and not himself and the man should disappear behind the voice of god the true preacher is not a repeater of words not a rhetorician but a messenger of grace his soul should be filled with the living word of god and with the energy of grace the first obtained from study of the holy scriptures and the traditional wisdom of the church the second from prayer and meditation that the word within him may be filled with the life of grace such were the voices of the prophets such with more ardour the voices of the apostles such the preaching of the saints they were humble their spirits were subject to the spirit of god and the holy spirit spoke through the organ of their souls 
and filled their voices with the grave music of truth all vibrating with the energy of grace st paul has told us the secret of his apostolic preaching and has shown us how the power of god worked through the humility of the man we preach not ourselves but jesus christ our lord and ourselves your servants through christ for god who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shown in our hearts to give the light of the glory of the knowledge of god in the face of christ jesus but we have this treasure in earthly vessels that the excellency may be of the power of god and not of us two corinthians chapter four verses five through seven the apostle had no other notion of the preacher's office than to be the humble subject and the intelligent organ of the light and grace of the holy spirit and although he had to encounter the pagan philosophies and the heathen mythologies as well as the incredulity of his brethren the jews his one subject was jesus christ for he knew that jesus christ is the one and only conqueror of every error and of every vice and that the holy spirit is the spirit and the power of jesus christ the great apostle has left for our instruction a yet more ample description of the humility of his preaching and i brethren he says when i came to you came not in loftiness of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of christ for i judged not myself to know anything among you but jesus christ and him crucified and i was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not in the persuasive words of human wisdom but in the showing forth of the spirit and power that your faith might not stand on the wisdom of men but on the power of god one corinthians chapter two verses one through five it may be said that the apostle was inspired but his humility made him the fruitful subject of the divine inspiration and every one will be nearer to the source of inspiration the more humbly he is subject to the light and grace of the holy spirit for what gives the preacher power is the vibration of the light and grace of the holy spirit in his soul there are a few words written by roger bacon the celebrated friar of oxford addressed to pope clement the fourth on this subject which are worthy of grave reflection words he says have great power and when they are uttered from profound thought great desire right intention and strong belief they have great virtue when these four qualities unite they forcibly move the substance of the rational soul convey the virtue of the soul into the voice and this virtue is received by the hearer according as the soul is holy or sinful of a good or evil will will be the quality of power generated in the voice thus the quality of power in the soul is multiplied and imprinted and incorporated in the voice that passes through the air and is formed and figured in the listening soul 
and is able to effect great changes these words will help us to understand the type of the true preacher such as god has given the church in his saints humble must he be that his soul may be open to the divine influences and may not obstruct them humble also that he may have a clear discernment of what souls require humble again that he may have that true love of souls which becomes the second inspiration of his preaching his earnest charity gives earnest action to his mind and to his will so that by right intention great desire profound thinking and strong belief the light and grace of god may vibrate in his soul and reverberate in the souls of his hearers then may he make the greatest truths clear to the simplest souls endowed with faith of this capacity we have ample proof in the way in which children lay hold of the sublime truths of religion in the first lessons of the catechism yet ordinarily he will speak to the requirements of his people on the other hand due conditions are required in the souls of his hearers of which the chief is humility of heart for a sermon is a grace and grace is given to the humble the hearer is the disciple of the preacher and the spirit of a disciple is that of humility and reverence humility opens the soul pride shuts it up the moment the hearer changes the posture of his soul from that of a disciple to that of a critic he assumes superiority ceases to learn and ceases to profit even saint paul had to rebuke his babbling critics among the greeks who in their vanity discussed the man instead of taking his inspired words to heart here comes in the great principle of humility to authority that we submit what is of nature in ourselves to what is of god in another with the reference of the final motive to god the true mental posture of the hearer of the word of god is to collect himself within himself forgetting all around him and applying to himself with awakened conscience the truth delivered to his soul there are two communions in the church of god the communion of the word of christ and the communion of the body of christ the communion of the word of christ is through preaching and meditation of the gospel this is the spiritual communion with christ as he is the eternal truth whereby he purifies and enlarges the soul with his light and prepares her for the substantial communion of his body and blood which is the consummation of grace it is a divine rule in the providence of grace that god accomplishes his great spiritual works through weak instruments made conscious of their weakness and saint paul gives the reason that no flesh should glory in his sight and that as it is written he that glorieth may glory in the lord one corinthians chapter one verses twenty nine through thirty one in making the instruments of his great works conscious of their weakness he makes them truly humble as he did his apostles and saints 
that they may put no obstacle of their own to the working of his grace and power through them and that the work of his power may be plainly seen to be the work of god so that both he who is the channel of the work and they who are its objects may give the glory of the work to god in conclusion you may wish to understand more clearly how it comes that holy and humble persons account themselves more vile and unworthy than other persons even those who may be open and manifest sinners this humility is a scandal to the proud but only to the proud and ignorant take st paul for example he calls himself the chief of sinners whom jesus christ came into this world to save and the least of all the saints and the least of the apostles and unworthy to be an apostle although he admits that he has labored more abundantly than all they does not humility spring from truth how then are we to reconcile these convictions with the truth having a great light from god to see themselves the saints see much more of themselves than of any one else and so in accounting themselves vile through humility they injured not the truth but as saint dorotheus observes they often could not themselves understand by what way they had reached this sense and judgment of themselves it must be first observed that the truth to us depends both on what we see and on what we do not see it must be observed in the second place that what we do see depends for its amount upon the clearness and force of the light with which we see and what we feel depends on the nearness to ourselves of what is felt in the third place it must be remembered that what is really vile in us is our native nothingness as opposed to god and his divine gifts and our sinfulness as opposed to the divine purity the knowledge of which is not obtained by comparison with man but by comparison with god and with his pure gifts the light thrown on a dunghill reveals its foulness by comparison with the purity of the light that shines upon it throw a robe of resplendent silk over a mean person clothed in dirty rags and you make his vileness doubly vile the humble soul is under the divine light and sees far more of herself than she can see of any one else and as she is also filled with the divine charity she feels far more in her own case of what she would be without that charity than she can possibly feel with respect to any other person's soul the more humble that soul is the more she sees her natural weakness and defects and the less she sees them in other persons whom she does not judge and whose interior can never be seen or felt by her like her own st gregory explains this by contrasting the habits of the humble with the habits of the proud it is the habit of the proud to keep what is weak or evil in them and their ways out of their sight but to keep the good they have or imagine they have in full view 
for such a one looks to what is flattering and gratifying to himself and to what he thinks will most commend him to other minds it is also a habit of the proud to look keenly into other men's vices and defects and to think but little of their virtues or good qualities as being matters of little interest to their pride and as the proud are not free from envy they are inclined to magnify the evil they see in others and to lessen the good in them it is also a habit of the proud man to claim more good than he has and less evil than belongs to him and as he ascribes more evil and less good to others than they have he easily makes himself out to be of greater worth than they but humility takes the contrary way it is the habit of the humble to forget the good they have done or to make little of it whilst thinking much of the good they ought to do they keep before their eyes their sins and their natural weakness and as they become more enlightened take a growing view of them and of the shame that belongs to them it is also a habit of the humble not to look for the sins of other people but when seen to forget them and as far as they can to excuse them whilst their good eyes are drawn to see what is good in others and their good hearts to commend that good and to take it as a sign of greater good within than outwardly appears in consequence of these habits the truly humble think less of themselves than they are and better of others than they appear this leads them to think less of themselves than of others and to put themselves in their own estimation at the feet of all moreover the truly humble are not ignorant of what may be still reserved in the converting and sanctifying grace of god whereby the very sinner to whom you prefer yourself may become better than you and may go before you into the kingdom of god nor do you know but that this very day the change may come whilst you know not what hidden weakness may bring you to a fall in the hour of st paul's conversion ananias was saying of him lord i have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints in jerusalem and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that invoke thy name and the lord said to him go thy way for this man is to me a vessel of election to carry my name before the gentiles and kings and the children of israel for i will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake acts chapter nine verses thirteen through fifteen when a man suffers from some severe internal complaint it comes far more home to his sensibilities than the greatest sufferings of other men and to himself his sufferings are the greatest so he who feels his own sins and infirmities feels them more deeply than he can feel the sins and weaknesses of other men but he also feels them more deeply because he is keenly conscious by the many titles that should bring him to god and is therefore more conscious of his own ingratitude and he cannot but judge from this deeper sense and knowledge of himself 
that his sins are greater than theirs and himself less worthy by nature than they st dorotheus will illustrate what has been said holy men he tells us the nearer they approach to god and the more closely they adhere to him know all the more that they are sinners and account themselves the more unworthy i remember that whilst discoursing on this point of humility a certain distinguished man from gaza was present but when he heard it said that one who is nearer to god finds himself more vile and sinful he was utterly astonished and asked how that could be for he was ignorant and wished to learn i then said to him tell me honoured sir what position you hold in your own city a great one he replied i am the chief man in my city but suppose you went to caesarea i asked how would you stand there to this he replied i should be the last man in that city what then if you went as far as antioch who would you be there i should be looked upon as little better than a rustic and half a pagan but what i asked would you think of yourself in the imperial city of constantinople i should deem myself he replied to be little better than a mendicant then i said to him so it is with holy men the nearer they approach to god the more vile they see themselves and the more sinful when abraham deserved to see god he called himself dust and ashes when isaiah beheld the vision of god he called himself a man of unclean lips when jeremiah was visited by god he said i am a child but how this humility comes into the souls of mortals and is born in human hearts cannot be expressed or understood in words but we are loitering in external views instead of entering into the humble heart to find the clear explanation this humility is the effect of celestial light and the first fruit of contemplation it comes with the power of a magnifying glass to bear upon our inward condition so that when our sins are seen under this celestial light and no one's but our own and are seen in the root of evil derived from adam as well as in our own native inclination to nothingness we judge only from what we see in ourselves for whilst we see into the depths of our own evil we can only see the external acts of others and not their internal malice but this profound sense of our own vileness comes not from the industry of reasoning it is an insight obtained through ardent affection it comes of great knowledge and love of god and from his divine gifts within us in comparison with which we find ourselves to be altogether vile and unworthy experience also teaches us that the more we descend in self-abasement before god into the truth of our unworthiness the more deeply does the charity of god enter into us to purify our nature and to enkindle us with desire to belong wholly to him and in nothing to ourselves end of lecture six part three